or meth. Call it what you like. I know all that, Sean. It's in his publisher's handout. Still, it should be quite an evening. I imagine so. How'd you look? Bloody marvellous. That's my girl. Slay the people. I'll go now. Love you, she said. But he was gone. Men, she thought wryly. They're from a different planet. And she got her purse and went to do battle. In a room on the floor below, Alexander Kerbsky examined himself in the mirror and ran a comb through his shoulder-length dark hair. The tangled beard suggested a medieval bravo, a roisterer promising a kiss for a woman and a blow for a man. It was his personal statement, a turning against any kind of control after his years in the army. He was a shade under 5'10", much of his face covered by the beard, and his eyes were grey, like water over stone. He was dressed totally in black, a kind of jersey with a collar fastened by a single button at the neck. Black jacket and trousers, obviously Brioni. Even his pocket handkerchief was black. His mobile phone, encrypted, buzzed. Bunin said, Turn left out of the entrance, fifty meters, and I'm waiting. Black Volvo. Kerbsky didn't reply. Simply switched off, went out, found the nearest lift, and descended. He went out of the entrance of the hotel, ignoring the staff on duty, walked his fifty metres, found the Volvo, and got in. How far? he asked. Bunin glanced briefly at him and smiled through gold-rimmed glasses. He had thinning hair and the look of somebody's favourite uncle about him, except that he was GRU. Fifteen minutes. I've checked it. Let's get on with it, then. Kerbsky leaned back and closed his eyes. Igor Vronsky was thirty-five and looked ten years older, but that was his drug habit. His hair was black and a little too long, verging on the unkempt. The skin was stretched too tightly across a narrow face with pointed chin. A paisley neckerchief at his throat and a midnight blue velvet jacket combined, by intention, to give him a theatrical look. His notoriety in Moscow these days didn't worry him. The government loathed him for his book on Putin's time in the KGB, but this was America. He had a new job writing for the New York Times, and they couldn't touch him. The book had brought him fame, money, women. To hell with Moscow! He smiled at himself in the bathroom mirror, then leaned down to inhale the first of two lines of cocaine that waited. It was good stuff, absolutely spot on, and he followed it with the second line. He was dizzy for a moment, then slightly chilled in the brain, and suddenly very sharp and ready for the great Alexander Kurbsky. There was an old Russian saying, there was room for only one cock on any dunghill. He had no illusions that Kerbsky would be the star attraction of this soiree, but it might be amusing to knock him off his pedestal. He moved into the untidy living room of the small fifth-floor apartment, found a raincoat, and let himself out. 
He never books a cab, Bunin had said. It's only a step into Columbus Avenue, where he can have them by the dozen. So Kerbsky waited in the shadows for Vronsky to emerge. Stan for a moment under the light of the doorway to his apartment building, then advanced to the left, pulling up his collar against the rain. As he passed, Kerbsky reached out and pulled him close with considerable strength, his left arm sliding round the neck in a chokehold, the blade of his bone-handled gutting knife springing into action at the touch of the button. Vronsky was aware of the needlepoint nudging in through his clothing, the hand now clamped over his mouth, the blade seeming to know exactly what it was doing as it probed for the heart. He slid down in a corner of the doorway and died very quickly on his knees. Kerbsky took out a fresh handkerchief, wiped the knife clean and...